Welcome to Step Into the Story. Incredible conversations of how the Bible changes lives, changes families, and changes communities across the globe. And here's your host, Phil Tuttle of Walk Through the Bible. Welcome to Step Into the Story. I have been looking forward to this particular episode ever since we scheduled it. Um, New friends for me, hopefully new friends for you. You know on Step Into the Story, what we're after is we explore the intersection between God's story and our story. And with Todd and Susan Peterson, who live here locally in Atlanta, um, that story spans a lifetime and some decades of marriage, but it's it's a story that is still being written today, new chapters, and uh, it's just as fresh as tomorrow's news. So I really look forward to this conversation. Todd and Susan, welcome to Step Into the Story. Thank you. Happy to be here. Uh, This is so exciting. You know, you've got the overview of your life. Um, Great, great long marriage, um, kids. I mean, amazing career. Todd, you uh, in the NFL after uh, Naval Academy a couple years and then finishing up at the University of Georgia, um, drafted in the NFL, long NFL career. I mean, what what could be better than that? That's the Wikipedia version of your life. But as I've gotten to know you a little bit, the story is, is much deeper than that, much richer than that and um, much more real life than that. So let's let's jump into that. Um, let's pick up the story your junior year in college at University of Georgia. Um, go Bulldogs. Great, great team. Uh, you're the kicker for the team. Um, how's your season going? How's it end up? I mean, it must be just all easy or no way do you have an NFL long career. Um, tell us about that junior season, will you, Todd? Uh, sure. Um, you know, it was it was interesting to transfer from Annapolis back to Georgia. Uh, my dad was a career Air Force officer, base commander, and I'd grown up a military brat and, you know, didn't have a dad who pressured me or, you know, made me feel like I had to follow in his footsteps. But, you know, being in that environment and kind of growing up that way, I understood the privilege it was to have the service academies offering me an education and the chance to play football and had been recruited by all of them. Joe's Annapolis, long story there that is really kind of worth telling, but, but really long. A couple of my buddies who were playing with me also um, were recruited by the service academies. They committed to Annapolis before I did. I was salutatorian of our class. They were uh, both top 10 in our high school class. And it was kind of a big deal. The New York Times picked it up. And bottom line, I went to Annapolis probably for all the wrong reasons, more peer pressure than parental pressure, et cetera. I got there, realized I probably wanted to be an attorney. Pretty hard to be an attorney in the military without paying them back for the time they put you through law school. And by that point, I just thought, you know, I'm going to be 35, 40 years old. That's really not what I envision. Um as a, uh, a chance to practice law, I didn't want to practice law in the military. I had some aspirational, you know, kind of thoughts around practicing law and transferred back to Georgia, won the kicking job after being redshirted. And Georgia's got a massive kicking tradition and Stanford Stadium doesn't appreciate missed field goals. And uh, <laughs> the, the SEC is not very forgiving, as we all know. 
And so, um, you know, had a, had a, you know, a start to the season that was, that was okay. But then we were down in Tuscaloosa on a Saturday night on ESPN. They had the best defense in the SEC and arguably the nation. We had the best offense in the SEC and arguably the country. And um, we are in a tie game in the third quarter, late in the third quarter. And I've got a chance to make a chip shot field goal. Uh, probably win the game. We probably win the game three to nothing because their defense is shutting down our offense. They don't have much of an offense. We have a pretty good defense. And if a, a game zero zero, you know, well into the second half, you're kind of scratching your head wondering if anybody going to score. And we get down into scoring position, can't punch the ball in, have a chip shot field goal, and I miss the 24-yard field goal. In Tuscaloosa, mm. you know, on Saturday night, on ESPN, game of the week, and man, oh man, I realized my identity was in the wrong place. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, and so uh, replaced for the next year and lots of adventures there, and uh, by the grace of God, win your job back eventually. Um We'll pick up the football side of it from there in a second. But um, Todd and Susan, you met each other in college. And and again, if we're looking at the Wikipedia version of life, we're like, oh, man, star football player, um, not not just an athlete, but an academic All-American. This this must be great. I'll, I'll bet Susan the first time she ever laid eyes on him and they had a conversation I'll bet it was it was done deal right at that minute, um, Susan. So this guy looks your direction. Um, was it love in a nanosecond, or how this how this deal go down? Oh, we had different versions of this story. So if we had a longer time. It would be very funny to hear both. Yeah, and if, if this were dedicated to marriage counseling, I'd love to take you through that. But yeah, let's hear let's hear your version, Susan. My version is that we, I was a pretty studious person. I also worked my way, paid my way through college, so I had a job on campus. So my days were very um, taken up with things I knew I had to get done to get through school. So after the class that Todd and I were in together, I used to rush off to my job. Um, so my perception of him was this kid who sat in the front of the class who had you know personal conversations with the professor. I thought he was way too smart and a little pompous, and I was just busting my tail to try to make it through this class. <laughs> he seemed to be breathing. <laughs> so anyway, uh, at the end of a class one day, he asked me how I did on a test, and I think I said something really nice like fine and left <laughs> right after that. And so we were definitely not love at first sight, but somehow the Lord created a friendship there. We ended up having more classes together and we both realized over time that we were both um, walking with Jesus and um, and a friendship was born out of that. So we were friends first and that was a real gift. That's pretty great. There's uh, there's great parallels with this and Ellen's and my story. Um, she remembers our first conversation and she just remembers those words being said to her by a different guy. And uh I apparently made a great second impression and then was locked in the friend zone for quite a while. And now 40 years later, we still have two very different versions of it, too. Uh, so, so, Todd, uh, you know, now you've got 
this this budding relationship with Susan and um, great senior season at, at UGA. Um, drafted into the NFL, which is not a common thing, especially back then for kickers. Um, summarize your your pro career for us, if you can, will you? I, I will for sure, but I've got to go back just for a second to that version of the story. And yeah, and I okay. Gotta, I got to let you know that she was breezing by in such a way that she was an honor graduate from the University of Georgia. So clearly, she breezed quite easily by. Yes. Um, or and, she worked you know, really hard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, you know, she's, she's pretty sharp cookie. And, you know, God tells us in scripture that he gives wisdom to us. If we lack it, seeking it, he'll give it to us generously. And he had given me a dose of wisdom and I knew she was the one, Phil. That's the bottom line. I see. So. I see. <laughs> well, you know, um, you can be more dis- more discerning, and it can take other people longer to really give in to God's leading. So, props to you on that one, Todd. <laughs> but anyway, you're right. We did uh, we did kind of see the Lord do something pretty amazing. Um, you know, to have been benched my junior year, and and then just even how I got my my job back. You know, at Georgia was was pretty unbelievable. Um, I wasn't the first choice to replace the guy that replaced me when he got um, mono. They chose another guy, and they really ended up having no choice but to choose me uh, after that guy failed, sadly. And so, um, you know, it's just a great picture of providence and the sovereignty of God. And to get drafted, like you said, was very unexpected for us, incredibly ironic. And, and it was so ironic to uh, UGA football that when uh, our head coach announced all the guys who got drafted, he didn't announce me. Nice. Um, and so that, that gave you a good picture of, of kind of where I stacked up in things at the time. And, um, you know, I think the Lord had a plan, and, and I don't say that tritely or trivially or, or kind of, you know, churchy. I, it, it was true. And, you know, we were both accepted to law school. We were going to law school. And, you know, the scripture says that God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And I think the, the Lord knew things we didn't know, couldn't see. And he had a plan for us to be in the NFL for a long time. And a lot of that oriented to, you know, the fact that over time he was going to give us a deep love for the word. He was going to give us um, great discipleship early in our marriage and, and in my career so that we learned the word. We understood the significance of it, the power of it, the impact that is found in living by it. And before you knew it, um, we really were looking at my NFL career as a mission field and even more so maybe than that personally, like we were just really highly compensated missionaries. We wow. had a to do. We were on assignment. We saw the locker room and our community and the friends we had because of my career and certainly other things in our community as a massive opportunity to, um, like Paul says, you know, share our lives and the gospel. And that really drove us for the 13 years of my career. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's great. Traded a couple of times, found a home in Seattle and, uh, Great, great success there. That's the, you know, that's the outworking of it. But what's going on in your lives and hearts and, you know, this this idea of where is your identity rooted 
Um, where's your significance come from? Can, can you talk a little bit about how God was really remaking you from the inside, not just from a career point of view, uh, but, but really changing both of you and changing you as a couple through the ups and downs of that career? Yeah, I'll tackle that real quick, and then Suze can dive in. I mean, I, I came to faith at Georgia, you know, kind of midway into my time there. Uh, there's a verse in First Corinthians that says, The folly of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God stronger than man's strength. And I think I realized, in part because of the, the myth at Alabama, but then a number of other things, um, that I put my stock in, in kind of trying to be as smart and as wise and as good athletically and as cool relationally as I could be. And I wasn't a kid who'd done a lot of bad stuff in the world's eyes, but I just had built my life on things that, that were going to ultimately fail me. And, and so when I did put my faith in Christ and surrendered my life um, to him, I think it put a foundation in my life that was strong foundation on which to build and the discipleship of those early years in the NFL and certainly the ups and downs. I got drafted, cut, picked up, cut, picked up, cut, like you said, before we really felt like the Lord established my career in Seattle and then obviously, you know, played a long time, just began to realize that, that there really is nothing to hang your hat on in life other than the truth of the Word of God. And of a very intimate relationship with Jesus. And, and the word became alive to us as we studied it and spent time in it and, and began to understand things like we are his workmanship created in Christ to do great works, which he's prepared for us in advance to do. And when we walk humbly with him and we keep our eyes set on him, what we see is him do immeasurably more in and through us than we could have ever asked or imagined. And, and that to whom much is given, much is expected. And, by the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, if we walk in a manner worthy of his call on our life, he will use us in mighty ways to advance his kingdom. And and so that was what was happening. We were being transformed by the renewing of our mind, like Romans 12 says. And then I think the other thing that was happening, you know, for me personally, especially was, you know, I was realizing there was no greater gift than I could offer to God than to give him back what he had given me and, mm-hmm. and to offer back to him what he had given me. And Romans 12 says we present our bodies, our lives, our very lives back to him because it's our only reasonable thing to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I concluded that was very reasonable. And so, you know, because I'd come to faith the way I'd come to faith and because I'd begun to experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit in my life and him helping me and leading me, guiding me, empowering me, giving me discernment, giving me wisdom when I asked for it. I began to realize, man, this is the way I'm going to live my life. You know, as for me and my house, married now, kids early on, we will serve the Lord. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So for so many, for so many pro athletes, especially, you know, the, the end of a career is a, is a painful thing. You know, some hang on too long. Um, you all went out. You, you didn't go from something. Um, when you retired, but, but you went to something you had a, you had a new passion to live for. And, um, especially it, it centers all around God's word. I mean, you, you've already quoted multiple verses. They just kind of ooze out of, of both of you. Um, but Susan talk about there, 
you had an experience in Tanzania, I think that was in some ways really life-defining in terms of calling. Um, share that story with us, will you? I know it's, a, it's deeply personal and there's a lot of emotion that goes with us, but tell us about Tanzania. For sure. Um, and just to give a little context around it, um, backing up in our life, I, I would say those years in Seattle, those early years in the NFL, just by the grace of God, is when we fell in love with the Word of God mm. and really saw the Lord, um, just our relationship with Him come alive through His Word and um, just were discipled um, really well and were in an incredible church community and just um, fell in love with God's Word. That was early mm. in our marriage and we like to say God saved us, saved our marriage before it needed saving and a lot of that was through the study of His Word and that is just the grace of God. So fast forward years later, when we were leaving the NFL, the Lord had um, exposed us to the ministry and the work of Bible translation around the world. Um, we had a college friend who came to Christ around the same time Todd did and um, became a, um, a member of the Wycliffe community. And he and his wife were going to travel to Africa and translate the scriptures probably for the rest of their lives. And they asked us to be on their um, support team. That was our first introduction mm. to the reality that people around the world, billions of people don't have a single word of the scriptures in a language they can understand. And our hearts were broken. And we just felt like um, our lives would never be the same. And we could never put our head on the pillow at night and not do something about that. So we were already... Um, invested financially, prayerfully, and otherwise in the work of Bible translation when I took this trip to Tanzania. God's Word certainly alive in our hearts. Um, but I was actually in Africa for a completely different ministry. I was on the board of a social enterprise. We were hoping to train women in a really remote part of Africa in hopes that they could earn an income that would be life-changing for them, for their children, and for their families. So this was really a, um, something I was observing as a board member, and I didn't know what I was getting into. I <laughs> thought I had been to Africa when I got to this trip. I was you know, confident that I'd seen places like this, and I had never in my life encountered um, people, human beings, living the way I encountered these folks living. And we had ridden in a Jeep for hours and hours and hours. I remember taking video of the terrain because I didn't think my family would believe me. I mean, we were off road for something like six to eight hours. And wow. We camped for the night. And the next morning we were to meet some women in this village. But in order to gain their respect and um, to honor them, our first goal was to meet with the night wife of the village chief because she had just had a baby. So we were invited to greet her, to meet her newborn, and to spend some time with her, which we happily did. And that meant that we were going to take turns entering her tiny little round mud hut called a boma because only two of us could fit in that space at a time. And when I tell you it was hot, I'm telling you it was hot like heat I had never known and I grew up in the south so we were already hot standing outside but walking inside that tiny boma when it was our turn to visit with her it was stifling 
And I just remember, like it happened to me yesterday, how I felt when my eyes finally could adjust to the darkness inside. And I saw this precious woman who was, in fact, a young girl. And I could tell immediately that she looked to me like she was a child holding a baby. And I was immediately taken aback because at the time, our Hannah was 12 or 13. And this woman child looked like she was about 12 or 13. So we visited with her as much as we could. There was a language barrier there. There was a lot of smiles and a lot of gesturing. And uh, I was holding back the tears. Um, and I knew enough about her culture to know a few things. One, she had no choice in, in this marriage. This village chief was old enough to be her grandfather. And, um, and I know that she married him without choice. Um, and I know that she'd been physically mutilated because that was required of her and her culture. Mm-hmm. So just watching her in that moment, I honestly lost, um, I lost the face of Jesus for just a minute. I lost hope for her. I couldn't see her future. I was distraught and, and just spent the day trying to hold back the tears. And she was really all I could think about. And that night around the fire, um, the missionary woman who was our leader on this trip, noticed a countenance change in me. I'm usually very talkative. I'm usually very sanguine in most situations. And she just came and sat next to me and said, Susan, something's wrong. And I just want to know, what are you thinking? And I just looked at her and said, Tammy, I, I can't stop thinking about that precious young mom. She looks like she's about the age of my daughter. And my daughter is home in America, swinging on swings and still playing with American Girl dolls and learning math and reading the classics. And this child is forced into a life that she surely would never choose for herself. And I just, where's the hope for her? Where is the hope for her life? And this precious missionary woman turned to me and said, Susan, in my experience, and she had lived a lifetime in the mission field. She said, in my experience, culture without the Lord gets caught in a web of lies. And out of each lie comes another lie and another lie and another lie until they truly are an entire culture trapped in a web of the enemy's lies. And then she said this, only God's word unlocks the lie. Mm. I mean, only God's word unlocks the lie. And that is true for that young wife. It's true for the husband she had to marry. It's true for any future girl that's born into that culture. It's true for my own daughter. In this culture, without the word of God, we are lost in a web of lies. That no matter what culture we live in, um, we can't get ourselves out of it. And I, it was absolutely transformative for me. If I didn't already believe that God's word had that kind of power, I knew it then. And I mm-hmm. believe it to this day mm-hmm. that, that when, when God's word enters into a culture, it transforms people forever. Mm. We see that, you know, with individuals here and, and we think on a, on a micro level, but when you see it in an entire culture, and, and you see a culture that is lacking even a chance to learn and apply God's word, you, you see the bondage and really the hopelessness of that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it is, it is that cause 
that you have both devoted yourselves to. Um, you know, I know you're involved in a number of things, uh, the passion movement with Louis Giglio and Passion City Church. You helped get that going. Um, Susan Young Life. I know a lot of your ministry involvements are are special and significant. Um, you know, Todd, for a long time, though, you were on the board and directed the, the board of the Seed Company, which is one of my favorite ministries, innovation in Bible mm-hmm. translation, you know, applying technology, finding faster ways, even sometimes crowdsourcing translation. The creativity of Seed Company is just a model for our ministry and, and so many others. But God keeps broadening. I mean, it didn't start with that afternoon in that mud hut, but certainly that intensified it. But to, to see the, the micro view, but then the macro view of, you know, of, of the 7,000 languages in the world, there's to date, there's 3,800 or so that have very little, or in some cases, zero scripture. And that seems overwhelming and seed companies taking it on. But um, Todd and Susan, what God has really birthed through you in a lot of ways is a movement called Illuminations. Um, that may not be something that our listeners are familiar with. It's not another Bible translation ministry. It, it's, it's a collective alliance of Bible translation ministries. Um, tell us the story of Illuminations and what the vision of that of that group is because this this is inspiring and it's it dead on aligns with the calling of our ministry. We don't translate the scriptures, but our our job is to ignite people's passion for them. So it, it just dovetails beautifully. But tell us some about illuminations and and the vision and how the work is going. Yeah, um, well, it's a miracle, and you know the backstory on it is that as I was toward the latter part of my career, as you alluded, we we had had the privilege of getting involved with Seed Company and, and the guy that Susan mentioned who'd become a Bible translator actually had played with me at Georgia, been drafted. He was an All-American at Georgia. He should have played 13 years, not me. And back to the whole notion that God's ways aren't our ways, you know, he gets hurt, becomes a Bible translator, and we're supporting his ministry. And he introduced me to Roy Peterson, who was the seed company president at the time. And and so we had begun to give to seed company be, besides supporting, you know, uh, this, this Wycliffe uh, mission, missionary couple that we knew so well and um, was asked to go on the board of seed company, became chairman of the board. And um, during that time, you know, had finished playing and I had just kind of sunk my teeth into this thing because, you know, to your point, we are involved in other things, but it just became very apparent to us that Bible translation was the underpinning of all those other things. I mean, yes, we love, you know, young life and sports ministry and passion and reaching college kids. But at the end of the day, if we don't have the word of God in the language of the person, there is no sustainable ministry. And so um, over time, you know, seed company had grown significantly. Um, I didn't deserve a lot of credit that kind of came my way, but because of being in a position of influence like chairman, you know, really built pretty significant influence across the philanthropic community. And and Roy had been called to depart 
uh, seed company CEO role and moved to American Bible Society. And the board had asked me if I would step in and lead the transition, uh, you know, in search of a new CEO. Um, and over the course of kind of the six months prior to Roy's departure and then about the year uh, after, seed company began to realize it was going to enter its thousandth language. And uh, the founding chairman, who was a mentor of mine, dear friend, gentleman named Peter Ux, had, had kind of tapped me, you know, proverbially uh, on the shoulder and said, um, don't miss this opportunity because it is a massive opportunity. You, you only enter a thousand one time. And so we had begun to plan for a significant celebration uh, as we had uh, around that. As we'd left the NFL, we had hosted some donor things for Seed Company and really tried to, you know, involve our friends in the NFL and Major League Baseball, the Christian artist community, et cetera, and kind of rallying around this big vision of get God's word to the nations. But this thousand thing was a big deal. And um, over the five or six years prior to entering the thousand seed company had hosted six or seven of these donor events where we had kind of, like I said, rallied the, the troops and raised about 30, 35 million bucks in those weekends cumulatively. Um, when we did this thousand celebration, uh, we saw $21 million given by about 105, 106 couples. And so everything changed and, we were celebrating our 20th anniversary, believed um, that, um, you know, we needed to get away for a few days. It had been a torrid and crazy last uh, six, nine months of planning. I was on a jog and I just felt like God said, what what you just did for Seed Company, I want you to do for Bible translation. I want you to do it for, for all the Bibleist people of the world, not just the one Seed Company is working with, et cetera. And we'd become dear friends with the family owns Hobby Lobby, the Green family, and specifically Mark and Diana Green had become very, very dear friends, and they had been our guests at this thing, celebrating the thousands, and I called Mart on that jog, and I just said, you know, hey, bro, I'm pretty sure God just said something to me that doesn't make a lick of sense, and it's crazy, and it won't happen, but miracles happen, and I believe in a miracle-working God, let's see, and, and he agreed. He said, you're nuts. There's no way. But what it did was it precipitated um, the next few months of kind of beginning to sow the seeds of the idea. What would it look like to bring all the Bible translation agencies um, together to work collaboratively on, on reaching these, you know, in a sense, these last languages? And, and a lot more than evolved over the next six months as a board at Seed Company, we voted to, in fact, you know, kind of give away illuminations, most generous thing I've ever seen a ministry do, mm -hmm. um, and invite the other agencies, the other leading translation agencies that were all kind of unified around a shared operating system, a common framework of translation methodology to come together and be a part of illuminations. And so 2015, we saw five agencies. 2016, nine, and ever since 2017, 10 agencies unified under this shared vision, like you said, not an 11th agency, just a unifying banner, a unifying set of goals, a unifying and shared vision that would say that working together, we could eradicate Bible poverty by 2033, and then kind of unpacking that. And in the last 
six years of illuminations, uh, being a multi-agency effort, a collective impact alliance is kind of the, the fancy way of describing it. We've seen nearly 200 million bucks given in um, six weekend gatherings. And so God's doing something. Yeah. God is going to call all nations to the light, like Isaiah 60 says. And it's the greatest privilege of our lives to be a part of it. Mm. I mean, that's what I love. And that's really where your story comes full circle. And, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm a new friend or a friend wannabe to, to you two, but um, to get your whole lives summarized in kind of this short amount of time, I'm, I'm sure you've recognized this, but, but look at the pattern, whether it's in, whether it's in sports where, um, you know, big dream, but frustration and a sense of hopelessness and then God changing you from the inside and, and then things change. And, you know, and Susan, your, your story um, in, in Tanzania and, you know, where is the hope for this young wife? I mean, in, in their culture for 30 days, she has to stay inside the hut with mm-hmm. the baby. You talk about a picture of bondage and where's, mm-hmm. where's the hope. And then seeing the connection that it is, it is only God's word that brings hope. And, you know, there's, there's momentum continuing to build in, in your lives. And, you know, the task of eradicating Bible poverty, at least making scripture in the heart language where it's available, even exists, these overwhelming numbers. And now to, to see that it is possible in our generation in 12 years from now, that, that at least translation in every language has, has begun. And, you know, I just kind of see these, your life is progressing, but it's also cyclical because it's the same pattern on multiple occasions each time with bigger impact and, and bigger fruit. And, you know, I just thank you for sharing your story with us because we're all on that path. And, you know, most of us are never going to, kick in the NFL and and most of us may not be part of launching some big movements like you have but we've all got neighbors we've all got we've all got friends we've all got resources and a network and opportunities God has entrusted to us and thank you for sharing your story and thank you for really showing us that God's story isn't just a peripheral thing that runs parallel to our story but it can actually infuse every part of our story. This is, this is going to be inspiring to a lot of us who are listening to it right now. And in the show notes, everybody, you can, we'll, we'll link you to Illuminations and a couple other things that are, are close to the Petersons' hearts. Um, but I hope the takeaway from today is the invitation that exists to all of us to step into the story that God is currently writing just as much as he wrote the actual words of scripture thousands of years ago. So thank you for sharing your hearts. Thank you for sharing your story. And thank you for inviting us into God's story with you. It's just a joy to get to know you both. Thank you, Susan. And thank you, Todd. Jill, you're so welcome. You know, I love what you said there at the end. Acts 17 says, God determines the time and place a man will live, and he chose us for here and now. He 
chose us to be the first generation in the history of the world that could actually, like you said, see translation occurring in every language on earth. And I think the, the simple you know, thing for us to leave people with is do they want to be a part of that or not? Exactly. Exactly. Susan, you get the final word today. That may be something that doesn't happen to you very, very often, but you, you get to you get to seal the deal today. What, what would you say to everybody? What's on your heart? Well, I, I would say that two things last forever, the souls of men and women in the word of God. And if we aren't about that, I don't know what there is to be about. So those are those are going to be what we where we hang our hat till we see Jesus face to face. And I hope that's true for anybody listening to this today. Thank you, Phil, for the opportunity. It's been a joy. Really uh, you're very welcome. And Everybody, look forward to our next conversation on Step Into the Story. It's going to be another one. It'll be different. I already know what it is, and you're going to love it. But spend some time just thinking about what we've heard in the last 30 minutes or so from Todd and Susan. And we'll see you next time on Step Into the Story. Thank you for joining us for the Step Into the Story podcast, powered by Walk Through the Bible. We'd love to hear what you think by giving us a review on iTunes or Google Play. Also, don't miss a single episode by clicking the subscribe button. If you'd like more resources to help you explore and live God's word in your daily life, visit walkthrough.org. That's W-A-L-K-T-H-R-U dot O-R-G. Walk through the Bible. Take a walk. Change the world.